Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Welcome back. As we continue working our way through the book of 1 John, we're going through lesson four, and we're just talking about, uh, you know, a couple of small issues, not a whole lot of controversy, really. We're just talking about the world and false teachers in this lesson. And to help me wade through these deep waters are the wise and understanding Matt Barfield. Hello there. And Pastor Brandon. Hello, hello. Who's barely awake this I'll morning. i just start describing myself <laughs> instead of letting you do it. <laughs> Pastor Brandon, how would you like to introduce yourself this morning? As the... The illustrious, <laughs> the stupendous... Uh, stupid. The sleepy. <laughs> the sleepy, there we go. Maybe we'll have Matt Barfield do the introductions. We can just kind of like... Have a rotation. That'd be a good idea. That might be fun. All right, we'll try next time. That's a terrifying thought. I don't know. Oh, come on. Well, we'll just, we'll see. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, we are, uh, as I said, working through lesson four, the world and false teachers. And uh, we've come to the point in 1 John where uh, where John is starting to uh, really take the gloves off and go after some of these threats uh, in the community. He's been uh, probably addressing some of the arguments, especially the false teachers in chapter one. Uh, It would seem... Again, as we're trying to understand uh, what was going on in the background, it would seem that there was probably some kind of uh, diminishing of the seriousness of sin or the idea that someone could uh, both be living a life of sin and also still be right with God, and that's not a big, because sin's not a big deal. Um, but now he begins naming names, so to speak, and he mentions the world and the dangers of loving the world, and he mentions false teachers. And so uh, we're going to be looking at both of these uh, in this podcast. So, uh, let's see here. We'll start off. He begins with some warnings against loving the world, and he begins with some descriptions of what it looks like uh, to love the world. So, he starts off by saying, I love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these have been uh, historically kind of understood as uh, really loving pleasure. You have there the lust of the flesh. Uh, Loving possessions. You have there the lust of the eyes. And uh, loving popularity or prestige, you have there uh, the pride of life. So, uh, as we think through uh, these three, uh, the, well, let's start off with the love of pleasure. How is loving pleasure uh, being like the world or, or the things in the world? I think you know if I'm trying to unpack this, I have to go back to verse 15 that puts the love of the world over against the love of the Father. So, if if I'm going to love the Father, then I cannot love the world. Okay, so, so that that that's going to help me. Like, where, what is my love directed towards? And you know, one of the problems with asking about pleasure first um, is because when we love the Lord, He blesses us with things that we enjoy, and yeah. that feels pleasurable. And it's like, okay, so now I can't love this thing. Like, how does this work? Um, if God's going to bless me, and His blessings are good, every good gift and perfect gift from above coming down from the Father of Lights, I have these blessings. That guy over there who's an unsaved person, he's got similar blessings. Uh, Is he loving the world and I'm not? That we have the same car, we have the same house, we have the same thing that we find a blessing. So how does that how does that all work? And the the issue is is something stealing my love away from the Father. Mm -hmm. You know, is this thing that He's given me redirecting my affection? Uh, Am I am I putting into this thing? my thought, my effort, my, my emotion, my, my dependence, my joy, what I should be putting into my relationship with God. You know, I think you could kind of boil it down to the word idolatry. <laughs> like, what is my pursuit? What is my, uh, where are my choices directing me? Because choices are a big aspect of love. Um, so am I choosing these things over 
God? Am I trying to find my satisfaction in these things over God? So if I'm a, a lot of people try to find their satisfaction in pleasure. So if that's my whole pursuit in life is to find pleasure and, hey, I, I'm going to do everything that makes me happy or possessions. Um, I, I think that's where the problem comes in that the priority is not God who is going to give you these things, but it is the things and the pleasure in front of God. Because um, often there is confusion. There's this dichotomy. Hey, if I follow God, am I not going to get anything pleasurable? Is it going to be miserable? And what we come to find out in Psalm 37, 4 is delight thyself false in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But really, that's because my heart will change too when God is my ultimate desire. And I think that I could that's easily for me to boil down um, kind of big overarching thought there that yeah. my idolatry and my love is focused on what God gives rather than God. It, it is about what's ultimate. Like what's mm-hmm. the ultimate thing is the car, the thing is the, is the whatever the thing I think uh, sermon that comes to my mind from years ago, a mentoring pastor preached a sermon about uh, Abraham and it was called giving up the boys. And of course, Abraham had to let Ishmael go. Right? The son of the flesh had to be let go, yeah. but he also had to give up, the son of faith, he had to open his hand and let God take Isaac if that was God's will. And that's, and that's that, what that means is God says, okay, it's because now I know that you haven't withheld this thing, this blessing, this, uh, this thing that I, happened because you believed me, right? That's why he got Isaac. He got Isaac because he believed God. And, and God said, you haven't withheld your son, your only son for me. Uh, I know that you're going to serve me. I know that you love me. So now, so he's showing that he doesn't love the world, even those things that were in the world that are a blessing. Uh, he's, he's loving God alone. Well, I think it's interesting that uh, Pastor Brandon brought up the idea of idolatry because if you study Old Testament, New Testament, um, there's a lot of connections between idolatry and the love of the world. In fact, John ends his, his book by Little Children, Keep Yourselves from Idols. Um, but I, I think the, the passage that, that makes the clearest connection between desires, idolatry, and worldliness is James 4. Um, he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? So we have the same idea. There's these lusts, these out-of-control desires, these things that we love instead of God. And then he goes on and uh, he says, you know, you, uh, you lust and you have not. Uh, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war. You, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. And if you, if you go back to the Old Testament, who... What is compared to a, a, adultery? Uh, it, it's idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, Hosea, uh, Ezekiel, um, a, a lot of these authors are picking up on this idol- idolatry is adultery. Uh, you're being unfaithful to your God because you love this other thing. And then he says, the adulterers and adulteresses, and look how James applies it, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. So there seems to be this this triangle uh, in the in the New Testament where uh, what the Old Testament would call idolatry is now become um, uh, covetousness, worldliness, the, these out-of-control desires. But Paul makes the same point. He says covetousness is idolatry. It's mm-hmm. this idea of I'm living for things. There's there's things that I want uh, that I can't be happy or satisfied if I don't have, or at least I think I'll, I'll be happy and satisfied once I have them. Um, but as you guys have mentioned, you know, the, the pleasure paradox, as it's been called before, the more I pursue pleasure as an end in and of itself, the more pleasure disappears. The more I pursue God, the more pleasure comes as a, as an outgrowth of that, of that pursuit. Yeah. When I pursue God, I find at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's lots of pleasure in pursuing God. But as soon as I say, well, I want pleasure, I'm going to go after pleasure. I'm going to do what it takes to get pleasure. 
And I think this is one of the things that's been convicting to me. You don't always have to disobey God to live that way, at least not in in big, bold strokes. It, it do, it's not just the, the drug addict um, or um, the alcoholic or the person who's sleeping around every night who's living for pleasure. You can live for pleasure and, generally speaking, do that within the boundaries mm-hmm. of what God has said. But you're still living for pleasure, and it's going to be empty because you were made to live for Christ. And when you live for Christ, there will be pleasure. When you live for pleasure, pleasure disappears. And I, I've had people talk to me and say, listen, there's, there's this thing that I want, and it's within the boundaries of what God has laid out. And I've prayed for it for years, and God's not given me what I want. And the conclusion was, so why would I want God in my life? And you've just revealed what your ultimate pursuit is. You've been trying to use God to get what you want, and that's the idol of your heart. And the love of the Father is not there because you've missed God because you've been blinded by your pursuit of this thing. And we forget that God has given us richly all things to enjoy, and he wants us to enjoy things within the way that they were designed to be enjoyed. And when we go outside of that design— that's where guilt, that's where shame, that's where all of these things come in and ruin the good things that God has given us. It's, it's very hard to move on beyond blessings. Mm-hmm. We tend to get a blessing that we know came from God, and that blessing becomes the thing that we grab onto. And I, I do like the idea of, of an open hand. Mm-hmm. You open your hand, you ask God for something, he puts something on there, and then you got to keep your hand open. And then he's going to take that off. And then he's going to put something else there. And then he's going to take that off and put something else there. And the problem comes when we see one of those things and we, we just grab it. You know, our hands, our fingers mm-hmm. curl around it. And we no longer will let him take that off and put something else on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's when I think of loving the world, I think of that. It's my hand closing. Mm-hmm. I think, too, this idea of, of the world. So then you ask the question, well, how does this, what does it have, have to do with the world? And I think... Uh, John's point is that these are the things that are in the world. This is what the world does. You know, this desire for pleasure, for possessions, for prestige. Um, the world has nothing else to live for. Um, and, sure. and that's what, what's supposed to distinguish us from our neighbors is not, well, I don't cuss. Is not, well, you know, I don't, I don't sleep around. Although those things obviously should be distinguishing marks, but, but that alone's not enough. What distinguishes us from our neighbors is that we are, <laughs> we are living for Christ, and, and we have something uh, so much more to live for. And if you look at our lives, they're different, and it's not just, okay, well, I have to go to church on Sundays. You know, we, we, sometimes we, just, we, we think if we add all of these things together, you know, we just want to know what the list is, and then we'll do the list, and then we'll go live for ourselves. And it's like, no, the point is don't live for yourself. Right. The point is that the list is, number one, serve God with all that you have and all that you are and love him and pursue him. And if you do that, that's going to show up in going to church on Sunday and not swearing and not sleeping around and all these other things that we might put in that list. Um, but, but worldliness, y- you can be a regular attender at Colonial and be worldly. And, you know, sometimes we don't think that way. We like to think that worldliness is this problem out there with people who are doing bad things that we would never do. And that's what worldliness is. And I think what John is saying here is convicting because you could be a pastor at Colonial and be worldly. For sure. Mm -hmm. Because you're living for the things of the world. You're living like your unsaved neighbor would. Just what makes me feel good, I want more stuff, and I want people to like me and think highly of me. And that's what I'm living for. And when we do that, we're living like the world. 
we're loving like the world, and that makes us worldly. Yeah, I read a story and an illustration that kind of stuck with me years ago. Uh, there's a, a it's a made up story, but it's a fisherman who's looking at fish in the pond, and he thought, "Hey, I want to free these fish from the pond. There's so much more out here to enjoy." And so he took them out and he put them on the grass, and they were suffocating. He's like, "Hey, why why aren't you enjoying all of this?" And a boy came along. He's like, "Put them back in the water. They were made for that." <laughs> and I, when we try to live outside of our design, we suffocate. And when we live God's way for God as him as our ultimate pursuit, there's going to be freedom and joy in that, even though there's things outside of that realm that the world tells us, hey, this is going to give you pleasure and make you happy, and it, it doesn't. Really, it's suffocating, and it's going to come up empty, and the he I- brings that up. The idea of those things that God's given us replacing our love for him, an idolatry concept. I heard an illustration from uh, Vance Havner once on an old sermon where he said, some of you think that you put, you give God an hour on Sunday, 10 cents out of your dollar, you put God first. And you think the rest of the time's yours and the rest of the money's yours. He said, you haven't put him first. You just got rid of him. Mm. He told him to take his dime and leave you the 90 cents and leave you alone. Mm. Uh, he said, you didn't put him first. You just got rid of him. And that, that just echoes in my head. Mm. Uh, that's, that's loving the world, right? That's taking that yeah. blessing, and that blessing's become the object of my desire. And I told God, now, I, I, I fulfilled my obligation. I gave you an hour on Sunday. Now leave me alone. Don't touch this 90%. Uh, the, the rest, yeah. yeah, the rest of yeah. its mind. Uh, he says, you don't own a thing in this world if you're a Christian, <laughs> right? We love the Lord. We've escaped, we've escaped the, the, the trap of the world, right? That closed circuit, that's the end thing. And we now have an eternal life that extends into heaven. How can we then turn again to this closed little thing that, that, that shouldn't capture our attention? And I think, too, you know, as we talk about pleasure and desires and enjoying things and God's goodness— you know, as we mentioned earlier, God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Like the picture I have of someone who is, is truly godly and is not worldly is not someone who's miserable, but is just somebody who enjoys whatever God's put, as you said earlier, is put in their hand at this moment. And, you know, there's somebody who always has a smile on their face because it's always, wow, look at what God has done for me today. And maybe from my perspective, he did more yesterday, but what I have today is what I need. And it's from my father and I'm so thankful for it. I'm thankful that he gave me that blessing. Then I'm thankful that he gave me this blessing now. And you know, that's because that's because ultimately what they need to be happy is they need the father and they have the father and they have the son. And so they're content and everything. This doesn't mean that we don't enjoy blessings like pleasure or possessions or even relationships with other people. But what it means is that all of those things are seen as gifts from the father. And I'm, content in whatever I have, because whatever I have is from the Father, and the Father's good. And so I can trust that what I have today is good. I can trust that if I have something less tomorrow, that'll be good, and that'll be good for me then. And I can just, I can go from situation to situation, from loss to victory, whatever you, whatever you may call it, and I can just be thankful and enjoy, because God has given me these things to enjoy. And when I enjoy them, I think of them sometimes, sometimes as a a child who's been given a present a gift by their parent. And there's two responses to that. One is to ignore the parent and, and just always go play with the toy. And the other is to thank the parent and maybe even to, to play with the toy with the parent. And in one instance, a gift is strengthening the relationship and the other, the, the gift is ruining the relationship. And, uh, you know, God's gifts that he gives us can be enjoyed in his presence with fullness of joy mm. Or they can become something that distract us from him, that pull our hearts from him and end up ruining our relationship with him. Yeah, and I think just to summarize it, I know we got to move on, but God is enough. And if I live for God, 
he will always be enough and he's always going to give me enough. He always promises to provide what I need, not necessarily what I want. But if I live for pleasure, possessions, or prestige, I'm never going to get enough of that. Yeah. And I'm going to be miserable. I'm never going to have enough pleasure. I'm never going to have enough possessions and I'm never going to have enough reputation. Um, and I always want more. And that, that's a miserable place to be. Yeah. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. Well, let's go on and uh, let's talk about false teachers. False teachers. Um, John uses the term antichrists, uh, plural. And uh, so there's a lot <laughs> that could be said here. There's a lot in the lesson. I kind of want to just uh, hit some of the high points. Um, he says, uh, and this is a verse that's often used of people uh, generally leaving the faith, and I think that there's some truth to it. But he, um, in John, he's thinking specifically of false teachers. Um, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Um, so let's kind of um, talk about that. When we see people leave the church, um, especially uh, people that we care about, that we love, um, how should we respond and um, is there hope for such a person? Why or why not? And you're talking about leaving our local assembly. Or you're talking about leaving the faith. Leaving the faith. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's very different. Yes. Different. I make sure I knew through that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somebody leaves Colonial, they're done. No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, and I mean, um, as you think about that, that is a difficult thing. But also, as you kind of look at the big context of first John, he's talking to this church who's going through multiple generations now, and some have grown up in it and maybe have not personalized their faith and then they leave the faith. So how do you respond to that? Um, this passage tells us it, it's probably because they weren't saved the whole time. They may have tried to look like it. They may have tried to pretend. Um, but then ultimately it reveals that they were not really of us. They were not of faith in Jesus Christ and had never personalized that in their walk with him. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I'm thinking about John writing this uh, as the John the aged, you know, he's been around a long time and he's, he's writing all this. Um, and I think I want to have a connection with him and his teaching, right? I want to have a connection with the apostles. I don't have to have this great historical line that I can draw and you know, this guy led this guy led this guy to Christ and now they led me to Christ. Mm -hmm. But I do want to show that the things that I believe have a direct connection to what they taught. Mm. And, um, you know, I want to understand that, that, that what we hold to here is, is we're following this. We want to follow yeah. what this teaching is. I don't want to leave that. I don't want to come out of that, out of that thread. And there's lots of ways to dump out of that. There's lots of things that kind of pull you aside, false teaching and, and things like that. And I, I came across this in Jordan with this guy that came, he was from, um, uh, I think he came from India, but he came to our neighborhood and he was trying to join our church and he believed in something called Jesus only in which Jesus is the father. Jesus is the son. Jesus is the Holy mm -hmm. spirit. And so he was trying to get us to do all of this. And then, uh, you know, as we're working through scriptures with him, he won't keep to this line, right? He won't keep to what the scriptures are saying. And yeah. so he keeps dumping out of this, this teaching. Uh, he's, he's, he's going out from among us, Mm -hmm. And that is now represented in this teaching that we have from, from John. And that's, that's sad. You don't want to see that. You don't want to be a part of that, but you can't, you can't go out there with them. You, yeah. can't, you can't go out away from these things. Well, and that, that's a point that I make later in the lesson, because there's one point where he says, um, 
uh, let's see here, uh, that which you have heard from the beginning. Um, let therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And I made the point, John is not saying, hey, you heard this first, so therefore it's right. Um, because, you know, by that logic, well, you go up to a Mormon and they're like, well, this is what I heard first as a kid, right, so right. therefore that must be right. You go to the Muslim, they're like, well, this is what I heard first. So that I mean, he's not just saying, hey, you heard it first. I think he's alluding back to the beginning of the gospel where he says that which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, sure. which we have our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John is making the point, what you've heard from the beginning was from us, and that was true. So what they need to hold to is not, hey, hold to the thing you heard first, but um, because it was first, hold to the thing you heard first because it came from the apostles. Right. And so what we're holding to here is the apostolic message, the message from John and by extension from Peter, from James, uh, from the authors of the New Testament who have recorded for us the message of the apostles as Christ's official representatives to, to propagate his message to the world. Yeah, and a, a passage that came into my mind in Hebrews 2, uh, starting in verse 2, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both the signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Um, and so there's that, again, that apostolic, apostolic authority that was given to those that heard the Lord. It was originally taught by Jesus. It was heard by the apostles, and God confirmed it through miracles. And uh, that, that's that which is from the beginning, those initial teachings, not something new or novel or even as you kind of alluded to. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and let's drill down a little bit and ask the question then, okay, so what makes someone a false teacher? Um, even a few minutes ago, I talked about people who go out from us and, you know, there's, there's a question, okay, so what, what qualifies as going out from us? Matt gave us a really helpful example of this, this Jesus only group. And I think this is one of those areas where we need to be careful because we have people on both extremes. We have some people who probably have an overly narrow view of what it means and, you know, they, they, this would be kind of the ecumenical camp, like, hey, everybody come in and join us, and, you know, uh, we just want everyone. And then you have people in there with, with dangerous heretical doctrines. And then you have people on the other side um, who maybe may look at, at certain preferences and say, okay, well, you know, you're, you're an apostate because you hold a different standard on this issue or that issue. And so we want to be really careful on this. And I think especially when we, when we hear that word false teacher – to realize how loaded of a term that is in the New Testament, and that's not uh, that's not something that's not something we want to throw around throw around casually, and I think uh, that that's just something that we've got to be really really careful about. So, uh, let me ask you guys. Uh, just curious, your take on this question. When we think about false teachers, uh, what does it take to qualify someone as a false teacher? Well, I think we've kind of already alluded to it a little bit previously that they stray from what's been confirmed by the apostles, by God's word, what's been recognized as having apostolic authority. That's really what the church looked for when they're looking at, looking at scripture. And was it accepted by the early New Testament church when all these people were still around who, who saw and heard and confirmed these things? So I think ultimately, are they straying from the clear teachings of scripture and specifically who Jesus is and uh, what, what he's done in the gospel and the gospel 
we don't want to narrow false teaching to just if it doesn't affect the gospel. I think there's more to it than that. But I, I think a key thing is um, is it affecting who Jesus is and the message of the gospel and salvation, and is it something that is going to send someone to hell? Yeah, I think um, you know this is maybe a crazy thought, so. Feel free to rein oh this back in. Yeah, oh boy. that's <laughs> you got a, a great intro. You got a warning. From this Matt one. can't see this, but I'm about to lower his mic. <laughs> but you know, when we were studying church history in seminary, I I was struck by and kind of I don't know maybe confused or I don't know how to put it, but but I was struck by how every time there's a church council to discuss some doctrinal issue to, to figure out what is this teaching in scripture and who's on the right side of this, the result of that is that somebody get banished to some island in the Black Sea, right? <laughs> like like everybody's getting banished. I'm like, was there any other tool besides banishment <laughs> to some remote island somewhere? Like, um, and so you know. I, I find that kind of weird. I think there were some impulses leading towards that of like authoritarianism within church structure that ends up with the Romans Romanish problem. But besides that, I think it does, it does. All right. So we're going to read it in. <laughs> yeah, read it in. It does show that the kind of thing they're talking about being wrong, like banishment's a worthy kind of tool. Like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's not something you can just say, Oh, I disagree with that guy. Therefore he's a, he's a heretic or whatever. It's, it's more than that. It's something that they were going to get together every hundred years to discuss and then say, okay, if you're on the wrong side of this, you're so far out that we're going to put you on an Island. <laughs> like we're getting you out of here. Um, so I, I think, I think we pull the trigger too fast. Sometimes as you described, yeah. we're pulling the trigger too yeah. fast and we're saying, Hey, this thing's way out there. This guy is completely off the reservation. And, and that's, uh, I think we ought to ask, is this worthy to be banished for? Yeah. <laughs> is this worthy to go to the, some far out Island for, uh, that's the kind of thing. That's the level that I think is being discussed here. Every yeah, once like, in a while, Matt says something and I think to himself, <laughs> Hmm, where was that Island in the black sea again? Your, get your ticket Barfield. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I do think it's like, it, well, you boil down even what I said and what Matt said. It, you kind of put it in this conversation of, if I believe what they're teaching, that that's against the message of how I get saved and get to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a good starting point. Mm-hmm. So I think we would put, put things in here like, um, uh, you know, Mormonism, um, Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, some of these cults that are uh, denying uh crucial aspects about Jesus. It's interesting. You look at the cults, the cults without fail will get Jesus wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, he is not the son of God who is fully God, uh, who's come to save us from our sins. He's something else. He's a, he's a creature. He's created by God. He's, right. you know, they, right. he, he can't, they, they can't t- stomach the Trinity. I think, you know, the Trinity is an important one. You know, Matt, you talked about those early church councils a lot. Almost all of them were, were about the Trinity. What do mm-hmm. we, how do we think rightly about this and the solution that that you know we're taught in Sunday school? Well, there's one God and three persons, you know, um, all of the same essence, you know, all those things that are are so nice and neat, you know, and we kind of have all you know memorized. Those things took hundreds of years of of brilliant people thinking through this problem and turning it every which way and trying something, and it's like, nope, that's a heresy. You go to your island, and somebody else is like, well, what if we do this? No, that's not right either. You go to your island, um, and so you know these are these are some of the the core things. And when we look at John, I think that's helpful as well. When we look at what John is dealing with here um, in First John. He says, verse 22, who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the father and the son. Whosoever denieth the son, the same hath not the father, but he that acknowledgeth the son hath the father also. These are Christological heresies. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, again, we're, 
trying to read back and f- read between the lines and figure out what's going on. It's possible that this is a Gnostic, pre-Gnostic um, idea um, where uh, there's the Christ, which is this divine spirit, and there's Jesus, and they're not the same. Jesus is not the Christ. Perhaps he received the Christ spirit for a while, and then it departed from him, and he died. Uh, these are, again, kind of speculations, but are the types of things that people will end up believing, and so uh, it makes sense that at this point this might be uh, what John is pushing back against. But whatever he's pu- pushing back against, this is a Christological heresy. And so um, it's important that we understand that, and it's important that that our people realize, you know, we, we may disagree, you know, with the Presbyterian down the street on a number of things, but there's a difference in mm-hmm. kind between what they believe and what some of those people on YouTube that are saying, that are making some really interesting arguments believe, and that there are certain things that we, as a church, as a congregation, that we we've got to hold with white knuckles and say, when you drop this, you are not a Christian anymore. You are, you are, or at least you're entering the camp of people who are false teachers and you're in a very, very dangerous place. And, you know, I was always amazed by those councils and the results of people getting banished. Did, did nobody ever just say, man, I got that wrong. I'm sorry. You know, yeah. <laughs> forgive yeah. me. You know, I, I see my error and I come back. It seems like they, they stay persistent in it. And I think that is a, a problem of false teachers yeah. that when they're confronted with the truth, they, they stick with their guns. They stay with it. Even to the, I'll go to the black sea Island kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's why John spent so much time on this here is because not only is it a huge problem because it messes up salvation, it messes up who Christ is and those kinds of things, but it also is per- persistent it's a pernicious type of thing that gets in there and then just gets stuck. Um, and, and it has to be excised. It has to be removed. I think, too, we can also say that there are other doctrines that, that are important that we would hold to that people can disagree without being at the level of false teacher. And, you know, that's something that was helpful for me to realize. You know, again, using our Presbyterian brothers down the road, there's things that I believe that they believe that I think are dangerous, that—, that Maybe such that I say, okay, I don't, I don't know that we can necessarily partner up in ministry. Um, it, you know, I think, I think pedo baptism is dangerous. You know, I think it teaches kids grow up thinking that they're saved and they've never been confronted with their sin and their personal need of accepting the gospel because they're part of the covenant community. And there's various shades of what that means for different people. Sure, but it, it, all the same, you know, I'm not going to look at a Presbyterian brother and say, oh, that guy's a false teacher. I, I think some of his doctrines might be dangerous. But I, I just think that we've got to be really, really careful before we start throwing out that label false teacher uh, to people because um, I think that, that that can be a very slippery slope and it can be too easy to throw everyone who disagrees with me in the label false teacher and there, now I don't have to listen to you or talk to you ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we don't want to do that. That impulse is wrong. And, and, it's, and if you get that wrong, then you end up missing the ones you really do need to get, right? You end up, mm, missing, yeah. you end up missing the actual false teachers and, and right. that's, that's a danger. When everyone's a false teacher, you right. begin to realize, well, that's not really false teaching. Yeah. So maybe, maybe this over here isn't false teaching either. And again, you get back to the really interesting YouTube guy who's right. spewing all kinds of And the next, gen, the next gen looks at us and goes the next gen of kids looks at us and goes oh they were just irascible they just yeah. wrote everybody off they just fought everybody well no we're not going to fight everybody we're yeah. going to identify what this is and we're going to stand stalwart against the the opposition yeah well i think we'll uh wrap things up there uh thank you for joining us uh next week we are going to be covering uh first john chapter 2 verse 28 all the way through first john chapter 3 and verse 10 And we're considering the theme, what it means to be God's child. And in this passage, there's two families that are being described, the family of God and the family of Satan. And the point is being made 
that both of the families uh, act a lot like their father. And so uh, that's something just to kind of be reading through and thinking about. Uh, We'll hope to see you again next week, and uh, thank you for joining. See ya. Bye. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.